Welcome back to the Global Digital Banker. My name is Adele Grisloff and this week's episode focuses on digital transformation with three case studies across three European markets. Guests include Chris Wilkinson, Head of Digital Strategy at Metro Bank, Seren Andreessen, Chief Digital Officer at Dunks Bank, and Sohail Raja, Head of Execution Platforms and UK Chief Digital Officer at Societe Generale. Up first, we have Chris Wilkinson, who shares how Metro Bank have instilled trust amongst UK consumers and their customer-first approach to onboarding and servicing clients. Starting from the very beginning of the Metro Bank story, you launched in 2010. You were the first new high street bank to launch in the UK for over 150 years. So in an environment with so many long-standing banks that have built up years and years of trust, how are you able to scale the bank and how are you able to build trust amongst consumers? So it's interesting that you say trust. So sure, I mean, customers generally trust their banks not to lose their money yes. but actually for a very long time customers haven't trusted their banks to have their best interests at heart. Customers haven't trusted their banks to provide them with great customer service or products that they understand or easy ways to communicate with their bank. So so sort of Metro Bank we, we came to market to do something a little bit different by by sort of creating a bank that's sort of based around great customer service really simple products and convenience we've been able to sort of create a bank that people really love so that's and so from a digital perspective how do you incorporate digital within the onboarding process you see a lot of banks or fintechs now offering a completely digital offering in that regard what do you offer to your customers so one of the things that made metro bank famous in the beginning was the way that we did onboarding so our customers could walk into one of our stores and walk out half an hour later with a completely functioning account with a card printed there on site ready to use. So at the beginning of this year we launched our new current account digital onboarding process which we worked really really hard to design to be as simple and easy and straightforward as possible. So it's got sort of all, all the great stuff you'd expect like mm-hmm. sort of you know, selfie verification, photos yeah. of IDs, <laughs> all, all of that good stuff. Something we can all relate to. Exactly, but one, one of the things that some customers really love is that they can do all of that, so they can open their account at home, and then they can go into one of our stores and pick up the card same day, rather than okay. wait for it to arrive in place. So it's just one of the ways that Metro Bank, we like sort of you know, merging physical and digital. In That's quite interesting, that online application, but then, you know, when you just want to pick up the card, you can just go there without having to wait for the post. Exactly. And likewise, vice versa, you don't have to queue in your lunch break for, say, half an hour to totally right. make sense. And you announced some very exciting news earlier this month. You have your new mobile banking in-app offering. So can you explain a bit about the offering and what this means for your customers? Yeah, so we call it Insights. So we, uh, we launched it last month. We're very excited to put AI into the hands of our customer for the first time. So it's our sort of personal, it's AI-powered personal financial assistance. So it helps customers understand the complexity of their finances a lot easier. So it gives them sort of insights around if if there's any unexpected payments into or out of their account, that'll be flagged to them. Changes to sort of regular payments, for example, a a bill is more than normal this month. That's exactly the kind of thing that we flag up to customers. Okay, so like a more advanced personal finance management tool? Yeah, that's exactly right. Okay, and what's the initial feedback been on that? I mean, it is very early. 
early stages. It is early stages, and we've only just started rolling out to our customers. So, so right now, not, not everybody has it. We've been doing a sort of phased rollout, but the customers who have uh, have loved it. We've been getting some really sort of great feedback about how it gives them the visibility over their finances that they just didn't have. And in terms of customer feedback, as a growing bank, how do you incorporate that when it comes to product development and new product offerings? So one of the things that, one of the advantages that we have over, for example, some of the digital only companies is we're really close to our customers in the physical world. So we opened our 60th store uh, last month. So it means that we can build trusted relationships with individual customers in a way that not all banks can. So using that at every stage in our product development process is something that we work really hard to do. A lot of customers do really like that face-to-face interaction, particularly when it comes to those kind of more complex products, just having that physical person that they can see and trust. Exactly. We can have conversations with customers in branch, over the phone, in a way that sort of gives us a level of insight it's very difficult to get just from data alone. Well, this ties in nicely with my last question. So culture, there's been a lot of discussion about culture today. Your colleague on stage earlier, he said that Metro Bank hire for culture. We train for skills. Yeah, so, sounds familiar. So what does culture mean to you at Metro? Yeah, so culture is everything at Metro. One of the things that we do quite differently to a lot of the more established ones is we, we give our colleagues a much greater freedom latitude to do what's right for the customer. So that applies in every part of the bank. So there's all sorts of great stories about how customer-facing staff, so customers, staff in stores have um, done incredible things about customers. We're talking about you know, deliver replacement cards to customers' hospital beds. Somebody wouldn't be allowed in other banks. So yeah. In other banks, that would be against the rules. Yeah, there's you're just not... too many layers of yeah, bureaucracy. Exactly. You're, you know, you, in other banks, you're driven by targets and got to sort of stay on the premises and there's all sorts of these rules that mean that even if the staff of those banks wanted to do great things for their customers, just the institution doesn't let them do it, which is why we we sort of motivate and empower our, our colleagues in a very different way and that goes all the way through the bank, so right through to serving customers on the front line to the way that we, the way that we design our service products. Wonderful, well thank you so much for your time, I'm looking forward to your presentation on stage next and I look forward to catching up again soon. Good stuff, thank you very much. Next, Saran shares the digital transformation journey that they've experienced at Dunks Bank, the opportunities and challenges from open banking and PSD2, and learnings from Denmark that have been brought across to Northern Ireland. Sarah Hollingshead here with the Global Digital Banker, and I'm joined today by Serena Andresen, Chief Digital Officer of Danske Bank. Uh, and we're here to talk about the incredible digital transformation that is happening, really spearheaded by yourself. So thank you so much for joining me today. You're welcome. So just been discussing your position, second largest bank in Scandinavia, depending on where you're looking, and the largest bank in Northern Ireland. Really impressive digital transformation recently in turning away from the branch and really moving onto online platforms, and that is across the board. So when we're talking about digital transformation and innovation, give me a bit of an update on what's coming up for Danske, what you've been working on, what's exciting you at the moment? Well, I can of course only share what's already in the public domain, but I promise we're working on a lot of very interesting <laughs> things. We are doing innovation and digitization across all of our business lines and all the countries where we operate. 
and you could say my assumption is that everything that can be digitized will be digitized and and we're kind of working from that presumption so if I were to share like a few areas where we have a special focus I would say within mobile payments we launched a few years back uh, probably one of the most successful payments uh, mobile payments platform in the Western world and today it's used for everything in Denmark and we're at a point now where we even have homeless people preferring to get mobile payments instead of cash. So that's the level of mobile payments that we've, we've arrived at now. Another area is cross-country payments. Uh, we're working with banks across Scandinavia to implement the, the world's first cross-country and cross-currency instant payments platform. So it's kind of like faster payments here in the UK, just on steroids. Yeah. <laughs> We have uh, Doom, which is an investment platform, which makes investments accessible to everyone. It makes it very, very easy to invest your money. Basically, everything you need is a credit card. The rest, we will take care of it and guide you through, through the process. So it's really about democratizing and enable everyone to get more from their money than what they would get on a, on a current account, which is close to nothing today. Advanced analytics is also an area that we are uh, doing more and more. We do all sorts of things with advanced analytics. If you call us up, uh, we use voice biometrics to identify you as a customer. So we got rid of all of those annoying questions that a lot of other UK banks use to identify you. <laughs> we use it in a fraud prevention to do our utmost to keep your money safe. We also do it in areas where we can improve the customer experience. We do uh, instant lending decisions. We can do it for businesses. And in most countries, we can do it for mortgages as well. So a completely different experience. You call up, we ask a few questions, and we tell you, well, it's branded. And in many cases, our customers can't believe how easy it was. Yeah. So very positive. It's incredible transformation. I mean, I've got some statistics here. Your mobile pay, 3.2 million users out of 5.7 million Danish people are using this. It's the third most used app yeah. in Denmark. We're very proud of that. Though. It's amazing yeah. after Facebook Messenger. And, and also just the transformation in your e-banking platform. So 2.2 million of your 3.2 million customers are now using e-banking. And you really really encourage that usage and I think there's a lot of big banks in this market that are going to be looking very closely at that model and how to achieve the same. One of the things you mentioned which is really interesting is around those cross-border payments. So I've been doing a lot of work in Canada and Australia actually, two markets that are very focused on building faster payment platform uh, and having this transformation but to me the next stage is making this global, making this a global phenomenon exactly. rather than individual countries having their own rails, fantastic. But as the world becomes more global, you know, the payments infrastructure really needs to catch up. So that's brilliant. And I wanted to ask a little bit about PSD2 and a sort of pan-European perspective. How has that impacted what you're doing within the bank? Have you had a lot of action in terms of implementing anything off the back of Open Banking PSD2? Well, we're one of the CMA9. So we were one of the three banks that launched Open Banking as the first ones. So we have quite a bit of experience now with Open Banking. And if we look at it from an internal perspective, I think the fact that we now have open banking has made a lot of my colleagues a lot more humble. Yeah. They now realize that we are competing on a much more level playing field than we used to. And we have to earn the loyalty and trust of our customers. Uh, and the way to do that is by providing the best solutions and services. So the competition has just increased a lot right. from what we can see. It's also blurred what we define as a financial service. 
having the APIs out there make it possible to integrate financial services into other businesses. Yeah. And I think we will see some very interesting things occur in the next uh, couple of years. That being said, we haven't seen a big shift yet. I'm actually surprised how little action and traction we're seeing on open banking. The way I see it is that it's more of a pilot showing how we can use technology. While I think the real benefit of having done this transition is actually in the bank working with fintechs beyond the regulatory requirements, APIs beyond what is required, providing services beyond what is required through, yes. through the, the PSD2 and open banking regulation. And more on the payment side, again, people looking at Scandinavia regions becoming more cashless. What are some of those learnings from Denmark that you're really trying to bring across to Northern Ireland and the UK? Scandinavia is quite technologically advanced compared to, to most other countries. A few examples. Uh, when I moved across, I had never seen a check in my life. <laughs> when I'm 35 years, I've never seen a check. Um, it's like when I go to the US and I have to sign a receipt yeah I just put a signature on something I'm like what yeah I totally missed that in the um, UK and yeah <laughs> and uh, and to be frank I had I hadn't held a coin or a note in my hand for three years no. before moving here everything was cashless I, I did most of my payments um, with my phone and I think what we see from Scandinavia is that when the government works with the banks and the banks work together across you can do some amazing things yeah some of the things that have enabled Scandinavia to really leapfrog within this area is things such as digital ID and signatures, access to public data. We have things such as tax authorities. Our customers can share it with us electronically. We have access to property valuations, public property valuations. And this kind of cooperation where everybody looks at how can we benefit consumers and sometimes put competition between banks aside, that's actually what makes the biggest difference and the most for our customers. So I think we can learn a lot from that. Got a mission to convince the industry here to do exactly that. Well, I, I would hope I could because I think it benefits everyone. The more we can uh, we can work together on, on solving actual customer problems, regulatory problems, the better we're off. Yeah. And it helps everyone. On the other hand, things are also moving fast here in the UK now. And we are also getting learnings the other way, especially around Open Bank. Yeah. So we are trying things out here. And, uh, and then the learnings we have here, we bring back to Scandinavia, where PSD2 will, will enter in effect soon. As you said, collaboration is key, and I want to talk more about the fintech community. Today, we're surrounded by some of the best fintechs in the market, globally. Uh, it's a really exciting space to be. And I know that you've done some great partnerships with fintechs. Can you share some insights on, on how you make those selections? You know, we're in a room today yeah. with countless how many booths and fantastic organizations. How do you make those selections? How do you make those partnerships really, really work for yourself as the bank and also for your customers? The most challenging thing is to keep my mind open, yeah. which I really try. So I am open to all kinds of collaborations. I have a few rules that I try to, to live by. I generally don't want to acquire fintechs because I think it has a tendency of killing the fintechs. So the way I like to do it is that we like to partner with them. Yeah. And uh, of course, if it's necessary or we find it beneficial, we can do an investment. But it, it is mostly partnerships that I'm looking for. And it's, it's basically within all areas. I keep my mind open and my eyes open. One thing is that I'm very focused on fintechs that solve a real problem for our customers. And uh, there is a lot of technologies out there that are looking for a problem and not problems looking for technologies. So that's one of the things I, I always try to, to focus on. 
and you were here on stage this morning at Fintech Connect talking specifically about corporate culture. Now, a lot of senior leaders are focused heavily on this and particularly in a fintech environment, you know, fintechs will say, banks just don't have the ability to innovate fast enough. That's just not how they're built with their scale and archaic systems, etc. They just can't. But you really, really have led a successful digital transformation. And so what about adapting the corporate culture how important has that been and how have we been able to achieve that? In my experience, the culture is the single most important aspect in a digital transformation. It's not something I just have experienced. McKinsey did a, a survey as well where they found out it was the biggest challenge in doing digitization was, yeah. the, was the culture. And uh, I think if you look at it from outside, technology is, is easily available today. Even 15-year-olds can deploy very advanced technology because they're available in the cloud or as a service. You have executive teams in the different banks. They know what to do. Strategy in one bank looks very similar to strategies in the other banks. Mm -hmm. So everybody knows what technology to deploy, what they want to achieve on an overall level. The thing that really differentiates banks is how good they are at executing. And the biggest inhibitor is ourselves, is our corporate culture. Yeah. And really shifting us from an analog culture to a digital culture, that's where the gold lies, uh, and what I think have uh, earned us, I've seen a few media uh, recently refer to us as the incumbent challenger bank, um, <laughs> and, and I really think we have kind of that golden threads that enables us to deliver at pace. We can see when we're looking at who we are competing with in first to market, it's not the high street banks around the corner, it's fintechs and it's challenger banks like Starling and Revolut and, and Monzo. Yeah. And, and we are delivering at a similar pace uh, as they are. There are some fantastic leaders out there who have worked in banking a long time and have worked from outside of banking and then tried to bring that over. In terms of literal sense, how do you rally a team behind you? How do you select the right people behind you to, to generate this transformation internally? You need talent. That's, that's necessary. You need engineering capabilities. You can't run a bank today with just bankers. Yeah. At the same time, to have a truly digital bank, you need to transform the whole company. And that's even the first line, the people that meet our clients, our customers. And I think a lot of banks forget that. They forget that they have a whole population out there which are analog people, that they need to transform into digital people as well. Even at, at senior level in other banks which are still focused on selling products. They're selling accounts, they're selling credit cards, they're selling mortgages. And the business is divided into these silos. And they're divided into they silos. They don't talk to each other. And, yeah. <laughs> And bankers have to realize that they're no longer selling services. Yeah. Customers don't care if they get a current account from one bank or the other bank. What they care about is the service they get and the interface we have. Yeah. Do we have the best app or do we not? So that's the real differentiator going forward. And people are slowly starting to realize that. I, I think in my bank they have realized that. And I think that's the primary differentiator. It creates a drive where not only the executive team has a push to do digital things across our different countries, but you also get a push from the first line, why can't we do this? Our competitors are doing that, we want that as well. Yeah. Uh, so you get that kind of like organizational culture where you have seen technology being deployed and you set the ambition and the bar higher. What are some of those challenges that you found in the transformation period that you've, that you've worked to overcome? I think the cultural thing is actually the biggest challenge. Right. And then the patience. 
in these kind of things you have to have patience and you have to prioritize and you need to select what is the most important thing to improve first and that is difficult it's not a sprint it's a marathon yeah so thinking about strategic targets not thinking about our financial target this year or next year but thinking is it the right thing to do in a long term and getting everybody on the right trajectory so we're seeing progress towards where we want to go that can be quite difficult because there's always a lot of diversions operational and tactical challenges that needs to be handled along the way so it's such a tangible case study of digital transformation and as you said in an incumbent challenger bank however you define yourself but you know a larger player with a large customer base that's really been able to make significant change so thank you so much for, for sharing those insights with me today Siren. you're welcome my pleasure up next, Sohail explains how they've adapted the bank in an open API world, the challenges faced during digital transformation, and the latest technologies that they're working with. Sarah Hollisett here with the Global Digital Banker. I'm pleased today to be joined by Sohail Raja of Society General. Thanks so much for being here with me That's today, Sohail. To be here. Thanks. So we wanted to talk today about changing business models and how the wider ecosystem is really adjusting and larger, more traditional banks are really having to adapt to keep up. And I know Society General has done a lot of work and really led by you in your digital transformation. So how have you been able to adapt the business in this open API world to really try and make sure your bank is, is keeping up with the progression of the industry? Sure. So I think in terms of digital transformation, we started the program around four years ago. I'd love to say it was just down to me, but there is a team around it in terms of the digital office. We have a large digital office presence in, in Paris. We're global. We have a smaller presence in, in the UK, but we focus very much on our digital transformation and what it might mean for our UK business. And our UK business is very much focused on our wholesale banking yeah. platform. And the main platform we have is, is called SG Markets. And the idea really behind that was that we wanted to be a lot more receptive, more, more reactive and also proactive around our client needs both clients but also internally as well with our sales because sales ultimately would be talking to the clients but clients would be interacting potentially directly on the platform as well so having the same tool set having the same communication and conversations going on and being more relevant was what we were trying to achieve mm. uh, and I've been focusing very much on our pricing and execution platform for our cross-asset business within global markets even though we cover wholesale and what we found with that is we've been focusing very much on moving away from a silo mentality, if you like, so even our data storage would be at a silo level and looking at how do we make that available because at the end of the day, you know, we might be called legacy, but actually it's value to us, but also to the client and being able to pull all that together, make that available to our clients, to our salespeople, again, when they're talking to their clients so they have that relevant information was, was quite key. So that was one of the kind of pillars that we had. Alongside that has been our API strategy as well. And we've created a, a load of APIs uh, on a number of services, if you take structured products for example, again, we have a pricing API that we just launched to our broker network uh, just recently. Uh, but we basically have APIs for, for everything. We may not make all of them available to clients, but ultimately internally we have a lot of APIs that we, we have a firm foundation of. Mm. And we just launched a developer.sgmarkets.com and that's going to be made available to our clients next year. And that's going to allow our clients to use a sandbox environment to test these various APIs that we're, we're pushing out. So going back, data was very key, APIs very key, but also lowering the amount of functionality or services that we had in our front end, because mm. we found we had a lot of logic built in there and removing all of that into that service layer, but having 
having us all responsible in the organization, whether it be digital, whether it be business, whether it be IT or operations, to be responsible for that service and understanding what that provided and making sure we had that knowledge, but also using a set of tools and a process and putting in a culture in place that had a very much an API first mindset. Mm. So I want to touch more on that because these changes in culture within the larger traditional banks is really, really important and it's been spoken about a lot by some fantastic leaders around the world. But in practice, yeah. it's obviously a massive transformation that you are leading internally. So what were some of the challenges that you found when driving this digital transformation over recent years and maybe some words of wisdom? So I think the biggest driver for banking or wholesale banking is, is always cost, right? Yeah. So there's inevitability that we have to look at our costs, we look at regulation, and some people have different views on regulation as seen as an opportunity or seen as a kind of you know stifling innovation. The way we looked at it was it's inevitability, but it also drives innovation. It also drives what people need to do in order to interact, to take full advantage of, of the changes that have come in place with regulation. Mm. And we've seen a lot more business or need come through electronically. And so there's clear benefits here that the fintech community, the challenges that are coming in often have the edge on larger institutions. So it's fantastic that you've come up with a model to be able to overcome those elements. Mm. So clear benefits for the organization, but have you got any specific case studies around benefits for your customers? If we look at a wholesale business, so we cover all the way from SMEs, wealth, to corporates or institutions. So let's take FX as an example. We have one platform, in effect, you could have multiple parties involved, but actually the the solution, the backend, the pricing platform, the distribution platform to the client should be one, right? So it doesn't really matter what the client type is that's using it, but we should be able to customize that relatively quickly. So we had quite a complex organization both culturally, but also from a technical point of view and a service perspective. So we've re-engineered that FX platform and that's going live at the end of this year to our corporate clients, institutional clients. But what we also managed to do with that platform and the scalability that we're able to have been able to create from there is also launch a retail version for our SMEs, uh, a corporate version as well, mm. with a slightly different look and feel, but the engine behind it is exactly the same. Yeah. So that's where we've seen the scalability and the services that we're able to offer really improve for our client range mm. from that one one service or one platform. I know you're working a lot with some technologies, so artificial intelligence, robotics, etc. Lots of people <laughs> talking about those in the industry, yeah. particularly on the top end for businesses. There is really clear benefits. And that's a really exciting space, particularly for that customer set. So how are you working with these technologies? So within the, within the digital office, we have a unit in there that looks after our data strategy, but also our artificial intelligence strategy as well. So we've been looking at supervised and unsupervised learning uh, in general, and then looking at how do we apply that to, to certain scenarios. So a couple of examples I can share. One is uh, chatbots. I know a lot of people have, have that kind of functionality, but if you think about it in the context of what we do, the language that we use may be slightly alien to some people. You might say, you know, give me a FTSE 100 call put option on this particular value on this day, which doesn't mean a lot to a lot of people. (laughs) And even in our industry, it may not mean a lot as well. So what we do is codes, which we use in Bloomberg, we use on uh, other platforms as well, and and being able to kind of codify that in terms of what that code should be. You know, when somebody types something in, using some natural language processing to evaluate what that code is, it's a lot faster in terms of the operational side, saying, yeah, 90% of what you've just written, I understand, is this what you meant? Yes, it is, right, we'll go and get your price based on that. 
So we've introduced that kind of natural language processing within the, the chat parser or chat bot part of it. It's not just a bot functionality, it's much more rounded in terms of what are we trying to do? What are we trying to get the client to do? Mm. So that's quite a simple example, but the engine behind that could be used for any channel. Earlier you mentioned around your B2B platform business and that expanding into the new year, creating this sandbox scenario where you can we can be increasing the services on yeah. there. So tell us a bit about 2019 and mm. some other exciting things we've got coming up. So I think what, what I've talked about today really is the you know four years, but it's, it's got to a certain place. Yeah. It's, it's the beginning really. There's it's ready still, to go. There's a lot more to, <laughs> to come out there. We're still evolving. That's great. And I think with the transformation you've already been able to make and the clear plans to continue on this path is fantastic and I'm sure people are really interested in hearing about it and also keeping a close eye as you continue to progress so thank you so much Sahel that was really no really problem. great it's been great to chat to you thanks very much we hope you enjoyed the episode this week for more content on the podcast head to globaldigitalbanker.com for updates on upcoming episodes check us out on twitter at GDB Podcast or on LinkedIn under RFI Group if you're interested in being a part of the show or would like to let us know what you think of this episode, email us at gdbpodcast at rfigroup.com.